Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning back in. Today we are taking a look at Mosiah 9, which is the beginning of our first flashback in the book of Mosiah. I've mentioned before that one of the features of the way that Mormon structures the book of Mosiah is that he includes two flashbacks, one telling the history of Zenith's people and the other telling the history of an offshoot of Zenith's people led by Alma. This is the first flashback. It stretches from Mosiah 9 through Mosiah 21. And in this flashback, it takes us back to the early days of King Benjamin's reign, about 200 BC, and it begins in the voice of Zenith himself. This is Mormon's heading for this section. The record of Zenith, an account of his people, from the time they left the land of Jerusalem until the time that they were delivered out of the hands of the Lamanites. Now, not all of this section will be in the voice of Zenith. His own record is only found in chapters 9 and 10. The rest of the flashback is likely gleaned by Mormon from the records that Limhi presented to Ammon, as well as the record that Alma took, especially of Abinadi's trial. So let's start off with verses 1 and 2, where we meet Zenith, and he introduces himself in a familiar way. See if you can recognize who he sounds like. I, Zenith, having been taught in all the language of the Nephites, and having a knowledge of the land of Nephi, or of the land of our father's first inheritance, and having been sent as a spy among the Lamanites, that I might spy out their forces, that our army might come upon them and destroy them. Did you pick up on it? Maybe not. Let's see if this helps. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless having been highly favored to the Lord in all my days. Don't they sound familiar? Well, I think they do, and so does BYU professor Joseph Spencer. In fact, in his book, An Other Testament, he finds at least 19 correlating verses between Zenith's record and Nephi's small plates. And this is more than just an interesting connection. It may very well tell us something about how Zenith sees himself, and why he would leave Zarahemla to try and reclaim the land of Nephi, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Getting back to Zenith's introduction, he begins his story with a focus on the land. He knows the land. Maybe he has memories from before the exodus that Mosiah led. He's scouting the land so that his army could destroy the Lamanites. There's a real sense that Zenith and his group imagine themselves retaking the land of Nephi by violent conquest. Remember that this is on the tail end of Benjamin's victory over the Lamanites. It feels like Zenith's group wants to ride that wave and push back into Lamanite territory. There's a shocking development, however, in his effort to spy out the Lamanites. He realizes that there was a good among them, so much so that he didn't actually want them to be destroyed. This is remarkable. How long has it been since we've had any effort by Nephites to humanize the Lamanites? The Nephite stereotypes of the Lamanites is that they're savage and uncivilized and bloodthirsty, but Zenith discovers that that isn't the whole truth. What did he find? Families? Villages? Communities that cared for each other? 
He doesn't tell us, but whatever it was, he tries to convince their quote-unquote ruler to hold off on the violent assault and instead try for a treaty with the Lamanites. So what's going on here? Why does this story of all the Nephite stories get included by Mormon? Is it just to give us some backstory, some filler, some context? I don't think so. Violence is going to be a main feature of this flashback into the history of Zenith's people. When we think about violence in the Book of Mormon, our minds probably go to the Book of Alma and men like Captain Moroni. And we usually take it at face value. There's something in conflict studies called just war theory, which basically outlines the standard of when a group of people is justified in going to war. And we seem to get something like that in Captain Moroni's title of liberty. But I don't think that that's all that the Book of Mormon has to say about violence. The Book of Mosiah will give us a different look than we get from Captain Moroni. And we're already starting to get that from Zenith's introduction. So pay attention to violence as you continue reading Zenith's record. Following the battle and after a brief trip that the survivors take back to Zarahemla, Zenith still tells us that he was committed to returning to the land of our fathers, and that's the story that we get in verses 3 through 10. And this gets us back to the similarities that we pointed out between how Zenith begins his record and how Nephi begins his record. Zenith may very well see himself as a new Nephi, a restorer of the original Nephite kingdom in the original land of Nephi. He tells us, I being overzealous to inherit the land of our fathers, and we'll find that that's a pretty self-aware description from Zenith. Collected as many as were desirous to go up to possess the land, and started again on our journey into the wilderness to go up to the land. But we were smitten with famine and sore afflictions, for we were slow to remember the Lord our God. Nevertheless, after many days wandering in the wilderness, we pitched our tents in the place where our brethren were slain, which was near to the land of our fathers. Now we don't know a lot about Zenith. But we know that he's not bloodthirsty. We know that he describes himself as being overzealous, and maybe we could add naive, and that he had this vision of reclaiming the land of his fathers. But, and remember, this is Zenith looking back on the early days of his journey. He also recognizes that his people were smitten with famine and sore afflictions, for we were slow to remember the Lord our God. We always run the risk of saying too much about too little information, but, but let's go a little deeper with Zenith's description here. He could very well be offering himself up as an example of how not to be a disciple, similar to how Nephi lets his overzealousness of his younger years bleed through in his record. The 1828 English Dictionary can be a helpful resource when reading the Book of Mormon, which was published in 1830. Dictionaries aren't perfect resources, because the meaning of words are much more fluid than they can capture in brief entries, but they're still illuminating. Well, the 1828 dictionary calls zeal the blind conductor of the will. That is not a good model for discipleship. We don't want to be blindly willful. We don't want to be like what Paul describes the Israelites as, having zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We want to be like Jesus tells his disciples to be, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Passion and love for God and the covenant is important, but it needs to be tempered by wisdom, or as Limhi said in Mosiah 8, 
We need to let wisdom rule over us. Back to Zenith. He ends up leading a large group of Nephites back to the land of Nephi. Malachi says that his brother Abinadom was with them. Zenith goes to the king of the Lamanites, whose name is Laman. Remember, the Nephites also had the practice of naming their kings Nephi, and it may have lasted all the way up until Mosiah was made king in Zarahemla. Well, Zenith strikes a deal with King Laman that allows the Zenithites to inhabit the city of Lehi-Nephi and of Shilom, both of which seem to have fallen in disrepair in the absence of the Nephites. The Zenithites move in and plant crops and repair the city. Zenith lets us know that he was a bit naive just to take King Laman's word. In verses 11 through 19, Zenith jumps forward 12 years, and we can safely assume that they were relatively uneventful years. Limhi tells us that his grandfather Zenith was made king by the voice of the people, and it seems like King Zenith does a pretty good job leading his people. Then in about 185 BC, King Laman decides that he's let these Zenithites go on for long enough. According to Zenith, Laman is motivated by his desire to enslave the Zenithites and live off of their industry. So the fighting begins in the land of Shilom. The Lamanites attack and seize Zenithite livestock and crops leading the people to flee to the city of Nephi for protection. Zenith responds by arming his people and successfully leading them to defeat the Lamanites. Zenith attributes their victory to the fact that his people did cry mightily to the Lord that he would deliver them out of the hands of their enemies, for they were awakened to a remembrance of the deliverance of their fathers. Since the beginning of time, people have claimed that victory in battle is evidence of divine favor. So there's nothing really surprising here. But that doesn't make Zenith insincere. In fact, in all of his surplus of zeal, King Zenith seems to always come across as sincere. However, the time will come when Zenith's people will want to claim all of the blessings and strength of being the Lord's people, but will lack that sincere faith, and the outcomes will be incredibly destructive. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We might wonder what drove Zenith and his people to reclaim the land of their fathers when it put them in such a precarious position. Why not just stay in the Nephite stronghold in Zarahemla? Well, this is all very Abrahamic. This is the promised land. This is the land of their fathers. This is where Nephi built his temple. There's something powerful about a homeland, especially for covenant people. Now, I've never lived in Utah or Nauvoo or Missouri or Kirtland or Jerusalem, but my ancestors did. And my life or my story is not simply limited to my time on earth. My story goes back through all of those places. There are, well... They're sacred to me. Not only that, I think I'm sacred to my ancestors. Even after the saints were run out of Missouri, they looked back from Nauvoo and then later from the Salt Lake Basin in hopes that in some future generation, their descendants would reclaim that land and fulfill the covenants of the Lord. I was part of their hope. Now, I'm not planning on leading a mass return to Jackson County, Missouri anytime soon. I think that there are more pressing ways that the covenant needs to be fulfilled before any type of move in that direction. Plus, if you've ever read a sci-fi novel, you know that if humans leave Earth to go to some distant planet, they just bring their problems with them. 
So we have work to do before we fulfill the hope of past generations and establish Zion. And perhaps the least important part of that work is moving to a different place. And Zenith's people are beginning to discover that. There is no magic Jesus pill. There's no thing that will fix the conditions of mortality so that we can finally be the type of people that we want to be. Mortality is educative because of the human condition, not in spite of it. The process of becoming Zion, a people of one heart and one mind that dwells in righteousness with no poor among them, is the same in Zarahemla as it is in the land of Nephi, in Missouri, in Jerusalem, in the city of Enoch, or wherever it is that you are listening to this. So let's get to work. Thanks for listening. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at soundcloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Thank you.